I am enjoying reading about them. Whenever you come across a topic or various Bible verse uh, and you're called to teach on it or something like that, it necessarily calls you to dive deeper into that, which is always a blessing. <clears throat> My question to you, just um, whoever can just give me your a testimony or uh, what has a greater knowledge of God's word done for you or maybe an attribute? Um, which attribute, if so, has really affected your life over the last couple of years, last couple of months? What would you say? Actually, it's sovereignty. It just gives you so much yes. peace in whatever life throws at you. It's not life that throws it at you. It's like God has permitted it. And you can trust that. That's, it is comforting, right? It is, if you know God, it's extremely comforting. What else? Amen. His, yeah, his unchangeableness. Though, you know, we look around, everything around us changes, we're changing. God never changes. Amen. What else? <clears throat> Anything else? Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Well, we're going to be we're going to be talking about the omniscience of God today. Um, just by way of introduction, I think most of you can probably attest to um, to the fact that whenever someone is watching you, right, and you're aware of it, uh, you probably begin to act a little different at times, right? You, you, might not, you might be done doing anything wrong, but it affects you, right? I remember when um, a couple years back, I walked into a clothing store shopping for something, and I walk in, and it's just dead. Not a soul, not even a cashier. I'm just thinking, this is a place, should I be here? You know, you're walking in, and um, you've probably been to something like that. You walk into a store, it's just empty. You can't see anybody, nobody even working there. You walk around, and I just thought, okay, I'm just going to keep on shopping. I'm just, I'll find someone maybe there in the back. And I'm shopping, doing my thing, and I feel out of the corner of my eye this warm stare from a cashier kind of like behind some clothes looking at me, just watching me shop. And so I just thought, okay, this is weird. You know, she's just looking at me. I'm just going to keep shopping, and I just, you know, you go through a couple more clothes. You look over your shoulder. She's still there. But, I, but so before I wasn't aware that anyone was watching me. Now I'm aware that someone is watching me, and it completely changed how I acted. I wasn't doing anything wrong. Well, I was just on edge, you know? It's just it kind of just someone staring at you, kind of puts you in your, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, your, a startle reflex or something. I don't know. Police do that too. Maybe you're not speeding. None of you speed. But... <laughs> If you're going down the street, it doesn't even matter. You say you're really not speeding. Seeing a police officer will cause you to brake check or something. It just does, right? Having an accurate knowledge of God should produce the same thing, of the omniscience of God, right? 
it should have a similar effect knowing that God is watching you, knowing that God sees you, knowing that God is here. He's with us. God is dwelling in this place. His omniscience, his, omni- his omnipresence cannot be held out of this place. It cannot be contained here, and we cannot hold him out. There's no place where God is not. And so God is here, and not only is he here, but he sees us. God is beholding every single one of you and myself. He is looking upon you as if he were face to face with you. And not only that, he sees as man sees, but he sees as man does not see. He sees what's in your heart right now. He sees what you are thinking. He sees the motivations of your heart. He sees all of these things. And so knowing that, think about it. If you lived in light of that knowledge, in light of the omniscience of God, it would cause you to think a little bit. It would cause you to be conscious of what what you're thinking, what you're saying, or how you're acting at a given point in time. And so the hope of such a worthy worthy study as this is that the knowledge of God would produce in us a genuine worship. It would affect us how we live. It, it, would, it, would, it would affect how we worship. It would produce in us a holy awe. It would produce in us a reverential fear that we would be so gripped by God's exceeding greatness and supreme sovereignty so as to transform how we interact and commune with God, right? How we interact and commune with him and how we live in the world as Christians. So the more accurate and deeper the knowledge of God that you have, the greater the impact it will have on your soul. And so having the knowledge of, say, God's omnipresence, God's omniscience, really does stir my heart. Uh, When I'm being faithful to God, when I'm being diligent in my devotions, but having the knowledge of the same really does convict me. Uh, when I am being lazy, when I am being slothful. And so you'll see that the knowledge of the attributes of God will transform the way you live, being more aware of them as you, as you live. And so by way of introduction, the knowledge of God it should change us. It should redirect our steps and reform our worship. A dear Puritan whom I have gleaned much from, and so have many of you. His name is Stephen Sharnock, and he said that nothing doth so much delight a gracious soul as an opportunity of celebrating the perfections and goodness of the Creator. And that's what we're doing here today. Celebrating the perfections of God. We're thinking about them. We're considering them and how they might apply to our life. This is man's chief end, to celebrate the perfections of God. There is no higher duty for you. This is your ultimate aim, is to worship God and find enjoyment in him and to glory in all of his perfections. This is why we came here today, to do just that. Uh, Turn with me to Psalm 147. Speaking about the omniscience of God... This support for the sentiment that this is the way we're supposed to live, we are supposed to find enjoyment in God, 
is all predicated or based upon who God is, the nature and character of God. And so as this is so fitting because we're studying his attributes and the Bible commands you to praise him for his attributes, for his nature, for his character. This is why he is deserving of praise. Psalm 147, 1 through 5 says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is nave. Praise is becoming, that's the Hebrew word. Praise is nave. It is fitting, is what that means. It's absolutely right. Nothing more makes sense. Nothing is more beautiful and lovely and fitting than praise to God. Why is praise fitting? He gives us the reasons for why praise is fitting. Look down. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. I had, a tr- I had, I had trouble just giving name to my daughter. God gives names to all of the stars. That's just incredible. And then he ends with this, Great is our Lord Abundant in strength, his understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Why should you praise God? Because his understanding, his knowledge, his mind is infinite. Because he is omniscient. It's this attribute that we are going to set our gaze upon this afternoon. The attribute of his understanding, his knowledge of his omniscience. And so as, as we've established already, the word uh, omni means what? Everywhere. All, right? All. And omniscience, this word, scientia, in the Latin is where we get this word, scientia, scientia. It means knowledge, right? Or to know, where we get the word science. God is all-knowing. And so this word omniscience, it means to have a complete or unlimited knowledge, awareness, or understanding. It means to perceive all things. To perceive all things. And the knowledge of God is great. The knowledge and understanding of God is infinite. It's boundless. It is without measure. You can't measure it. The the knowledge of God is as boundless as the presence of God. Think about that. The knowledge of God is as unlimited as the power of God. And the knowledge of God is as never-ending as the love of God. The knowledge of God. The mind of man is easily measurable. What you know, what your abilities are, to know. Remember, I, I, last night we, we talked about how the mind of man, what man is able to store in his brain, can really be measured between what is in between your ears, right? In this piece of brain tissue. Whatever you know, whatever you can know, whatever you will know, you will not exhaust that little area of tissue. Though man truly knows a lot, you can contain it in such a small space. Uh, men may, in regards to God, 
apprehend him, but we will never comprehend him. You see, we will never comprehend God. We may grasp something of God or know him in some very small degree, but we will never wrap our minds around a God who cannot be contained. The finite will never fully comprehend the infinite. It is beyond our abilities. It is beyond our nature. It is beyond our creaturely state. We are finite. And so if you were to understand God fully and know all of his thoughts, you would have to have an infinite mind. Your knowledge and understanding would have to be just as infinite as God's. But that's not the case for us. As creatures, we will never exhaust the inexhaustible. Uh, Even David, right? How accurate was his statement in Psalm 139.6, speaking about all that God knows, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. I cannot attain to it. The only being capable of knowing the mind of God And able to attain to the infinite knowledge of God is who? A little louder. A little, yeah, one more confidence. God, that's right. God himself. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Go with me 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. Someone read that for me. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. Katie, do you have it? Go ahead, 10 through 11. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Mm. Isn't that No one comprehends. And that's really talking about, yes, we can know some things about God, but no one knows the thoughts of God, meaning the breadth, the depth of them. It says that the Spirit searches the depths of God, the depths of God. You might go deep in your Bible study, but you're not searching the depths of God, right? It might feel like you're in the depths. Anything is deep with us. When it comes to God, it's all deep. But the Spirit searches the depths of God. He, he knows the length and the breadth of the thoughts and the knowledge and understanding of God. And as Tozer says, only the infinite can know the infinite. You have in Romans 11, oh, yeah, amen. Praise God. So though God's being and his knowledge are boundless and never-ending, God knows himself perfectly. Knows himself perfectly, right? We don't even know ourselves in any measure. And we're finite, right? What am I made of? Uh, Why am I like this? Why do I do that? I don't know. I don't know why I do that. My wife might ask me. I don't know why I do that. 
But in terms of understanding our own collective sinfulness, even, we have no idea of how sinful we are. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? We don't even understand the depths of our own depravity. We are depraved. But the next verse says that God understands it. And he will hold us accountable. He knows how sinful we are. God knows, right? What are your thoughts? Examine me, yeah. Mm. So this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will be assured our hearts before him. Whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. And he knows all things. Amen. So God knows everything. God is not in the dark about anything. God knows me like no one knows me. Right? God knows you like no one knows you. And God knows God like no one knows God. Get something popped up. God is infinite. He knows himself perfectly. He knows himself comprehensively. The broadness of God he knows. As one writer says, nothing in his own nature is obscure to him. Uh, nothing of himself is unknown by him. Each person of the Trinity, even, uh, each person of the Trinity knows each person perfectly and intimately. And they've known themselves perfectly from all of eternity. Uh, Unlike ours, God's knowledge is not empirical, right? It means his knowledge isn't gained by observation. His knowledge isn't gained from experiment or experience. Uh, God has always possessed perfect and infinite knowledge from all eternity. Nothing has ever been concealed from God. He never discovers truth, right? Nor does he learn truth because he is truth. He never acquires knowledge, nor does he ever glean from anyone, as if he could be taught by his creation, as if he could learn something. Turn with me to Isaiah 40, that we can see how clear this is, how clear God is on this point about his knowledge, about his inscrutability. Isaiah 40, you want to look at the attributes of God and you want to see how big he is, how great he is. Isaiah 40 through 48 is just a treasure trove of knowledge about God. Somebody read verses 13 through 14. Isaiah 40, verses 13 through 14. Okay. Okay. Mm. To whom did he consult or who gave him understanding? 
point in the path of justice and talking knowledge and informs him of the way of understanding. Mm. Look at the next verse, though. <clears throat> Behold, the nations are like a drop of a bucket and are regarded as a speck of dust on the scales. Have you ever seen a speck of dust on a scale? Have you ever pulled back a curtain, the sun shines through, and you see just dust floating? Get one of those pieces of dust. Place it on a scale. This is what the nations are. If he could compare himself and some, to give us a way to understand the immensity and the greatness of the being of God, just get a pair of tweezers, grab that piece of dust, and set it down. The nations are but dust. Who are we to think that God could profit from us? Right? Who are we to think that we could add something to God when his summary of who we are is a speck of dust? The nations, and you and I are not the nations. We are much smaller than the nations. Uh, God, to compare himself in Scripture in a way that we might understand him, he just really just compares himself to or he compares the creatures and that which is made. He basically just defines them as dust. The nations are dust. He says that you are dust and ashes, right? I mean, it's just you are the smallest particle that someone can find on the earth. It's just you're that small. We will never add to God. We are like dust. Nothing new will ever enter the mind of God. That's an incredible thought, right? Nothing new will ever enter the mind of God. Uh, he has been eternally free of ignorance. We are ignorant of many things, right? Like we just talked about, you don't even know yourself and you're finite. There's an end to you, and we just we don't know it. We don't know all of that information. Um. But there is zero ignorance in God. He knows himself fully. He cannot know more than what he knows. He cannot know less than what he knows. And one of the big difference, but differences between us and God is that we learn and God knows. Right? We do the learning and God knows. Yes, brother. That's right. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> That's incredible. He knows he's a God of infinite knowledge and he knows everything at the same time. Everything all at once. Uh, his knowledge, his ways, his wisdom are immeasurably supreme in comparison to any other. Uh, let's turn to this passage that you mentioned. Go to go with me to Romans 11. And speaking about the ways of God in his wisdom, in his knowledge, how he would plan to redeem the world. This is what Paul really doxologically proclaims. And doxologically, doxology is just a, a worshipful response to God. This is what he proclaims in Romans 11, verses 33 to 36. Oh, the depths of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
How unsearchable are his judgments? Meaning he is incapable of being scrutinized. There he is, his judgments are unsearchable. It says that, and how unfathomable his ways. They are vast. Uh, we do not share the profundity that is in God. His thoughts are profound. His thoughts are deep. How, it says, how unfathomable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? This is back to Isaiah forty thirteen. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? Quoting from Job 35.7 and Job 41.11, which in that verse, God responds, Everything under heaven is mine. Everything under heaven is mine. This is what he says in response, Who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him? As Acts 17.25 says that God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since it's not us who gives to him but it says but god who gives all life breath and all things and this is why paul says that he is the source he is the means he is the end of all things for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever amen and so it's all about god uh, he is great, he is glorious, and his excellencies, are in, they infinitely transcend everything. To whom will you compare him, as the author writes? So this is the God that we are confronted with. This is the God of the Bible. It's glorious, right? God is glorious. It should cause your hearts to extol him, to magnify him. The, the knowledge of a perfectly all-wise God should be comforting that your life is in his hands as a believer. There isn't a being more worthy of your trust. There isn't a word or promise more sure. There isn't a friend more close than our God who is a friend of sinners. He condescends so low to be friends with rebels. So we should marvel in this. We should glory in this. The knowledge of such a God is comforting. Right? However, the knowledge of God is also convicting too. Were you going to say something? How would you respond to that? Given, especially the text you read or mentioned, Isaiah 40 through 48, it seems it's pretty clear that God knows, not only knows all things, but knows why all things occur. You know? Yeah. No, that's good. I think that one of the biggest things for groups like that is that they, they're okay with contradictions. They is is God immutable? I think everything is based upon because groups like that will get caught up on the anthropomorphic passages of Scripture that God repented, that God changed His mind, that God. But then Scripture says we interpret Scripture by Scripture. That even in Exodus, that God says that I am not a man that I should repent. 
I just like to be clear, God doesn't repent. He, it doesn't say, I, I, I do not repent like a man. It says, I am not a man that I should repent, or a son of a man, or that I should change my mind, or the son of a man that I should repent. I might have that backwards. But I believe it's anthropomorphic. I believe that God will accommodate fallen creatures in such a way as to clothe himself with something that we can understand. He'll clothe himself with grief if that will get the point across to us. Uh, he'll, he, he'll, he works in ways that we don't understand, ways that surprise us. He will reveal to us his thoughts um, in a way that helps us to understand his, uh, his intentions. And just because God, I would say God, will threaten judgment upon someone, it doesn't mean that God has decreed judgment upon someone. You see this in Scripture, even in Jonah, that God threatened judgment, but God did not decree judgment. And so I, I think that ultimately we interpret Scripture by Scripture. We don't allow contradictions. And so I ultimately base everything, all my arguments, upon what I do know about God. And then I see anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic passages, right? And so I, I see a passage that says God doesn't change. God doesn't, and then you see that he does. So in some way, right? We come to understand those, and so I base everything upon who God says he is, and then I see how he interacts with man in order to reveal himself by his condescension that we might understand what he thinks and what his affections are at any you know given time. I don't know if that helps. Yeah, I think so. I mean, ultimately, that's what you see in Scripture, really, in a lot of places, that God uh, God has revealed himself because he, uh, we are his God, we are his, uh, he is our God, we are his creatures. He desires to dwell with us, or that we dwell with him. Um, but you see that, though, God... Uh, he he does condescend. You see that even on the mountain, Mount Sinai, you see that God is revealing himself. And he, he reveals himself through the Holy Spirit to inspire the writers of Scripture. He condescends, uh, so the Spirit condescends, the, the, you, you see God condescending to give his law, to, 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 uh, to let us know how we might serve him and how we might please him. So you do see that throughout Scripture. Uh, good question, though. That's a good question. Um, so the omniscience of God. How many of you would be uncomfortable with someone following you everywhere you went and looking over your shoulder, right, with every step that you took? That would be pretty uncomfortable, right? You'd be uncomfortable. I would be uncomfortable if you could never hide from the eyes of the people around you. And that is the reality of mankind. Under the all-seeing eye of God, uh, his eyes are always on you. They behold your substance. He knows everything about you. Um, turn to Hebrews 4.13. I don't want us to run out of time. 
Hebrews 4.13. Someone read that for me. Go ahead. Neither is there any creature which is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto his eyes, with whom he has to do. That's incredible. All th- I like that version too. All things are naked. All things are, my version says, all things are laid bare. It just means that they're exposed. All things are exposed. Everything you are is manifest to God. It's open um, to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So in terms of our relationship to God, there is no such thing as a secret. There's no such thing as a secret that, that, that doesn't play, right? God has things hidden, and the Bible will explain those things as they are kept secret or hidden from us. We don't know them, but there is no such thing that we might hide from God or a secret that we might keep from him. Yes, brother? That's right. Incredible. And you see God's omnipresence. And his omniscient, because God is everywhere. Also, uh, he sees all things by the essence, by essence of his being, absolutely filling every place. That which no one knows about you, the things you do in secret, that which you keep hidden from your peers, God is fully aware of. How much more uncomfortable should the wicked feel? That God not only sees the external as we do, but God sees the internal. He knows the heart. Uh, What you can hide from men, you cannot hide from God. Uh, He's there. He sees with perfect vision. He knows with perfect knowledge each and every one of our ways. That God truly does pull back the curtain that is over your heart, and he knows what's there. He knows the truth about each and every one of us. Uh, the Bible is clear about this. He, uh, you see in Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen. I can just read this. For God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Jeremiah sixteen seventeen. For my eyes are on all their ways. They are not hidden from my face, nor is their iniquity concealed from me and from my eyes. God will judge the secrets of men through and by Jesus Christ. Romans 2.16. As Hebrews 4.13 says, this is exactly the God with whom we have to do. Uh, And it's verses like this that should stir us up. They should produce in us a holy dread because our God is a consuming fire. So on the final day of judgment, God is going to judge billions and billions and billions of people. He knows everything perfectly. This, when I was thinking about this, I, I just thought I would include it. Uh, his judgments will be correct. They will be exact. You don't have, uh, you don't have a, a, a list, right? Um, you don't have a list of people wherever there's a list of like a census or something that is going to be bigger 
than the names of everyone who has ever existed, right? God does. He's got one of those. He, he, he's, he, knows the, he knows the name. He knows the person, the first person, and he knows the last person that he'll ever make. And I was thinking about this, and it just shocked me that he won't mess up. Just think if you had a, a list of 100 people, there might be an error. There might be an error. But God's judgments with each and every tiny speck of dust will be absolutely perfect. His judgments for them will be absolutely perfect. And trust me, you don't want to leave that event in the hands of fallible men. You don't, you're right? The judgment of God, you don't want to leave that. What happens to you for all of eternity in the hands of fallible men? Because he knows all men perfectly, none will be forgotten about. God will not forget whether or not you believed in his son during your life or whether you despised his son. So you can take comfort in, if you're a believer in the omniscience of God, that he won't confuse you with someone else. He won't make a mistake because he's omniscient, because he knows, he knows everything. He won't confuse you with someone who didn't believe, right? Because he knows everything. The judge, all, the judge of all the earth will do right, right? You don't want a God who is anything short of perfect knowledge. Uh, you must, right? You want a God who sees everything. And this is the case for us. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Look at the clarity of God's vision. Psalm 139, no one can evade his vision. He is infinitely holy. God is exceedingly great. Who can escape the presence and knowledge of God, the scrutinizing, the examining, the piercing eyes of the Lord? Psalm 139, 1 through 4 says, O Lord, you have searched me, kakar. This word in Hebrew means you have examined me. As if God has, have you ever, you know, seen, you've seen someone examine a diamond before. They pick it up. They probe it. They look at it. They know every corner, nook, crevice. There are no gaps of information that God does not know about this little thing. God knows me like that. He sees right through me. You have searched me and you have known me. That God is, he, he thoroughly knows you. He intimately knows you. He understands you. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, literally from sunrise to sunset, all the activities of my everyday life, God knows. You understand my thought from afar, even from your high and holy and lofty dwelling place, your throne, you can see down into the depths of my mind, everything that is hidden, even from way up there, from afar, God even knows my thoughts. You scrutinize, he says, my path and my lying down. Scrutinize meaning he knows every kernel of your life. That, that word in the Hebrew is it literally, you winnow me. You sift me like wheat. Uh, this is kind of an old agricultural term 
back back in in these ancient times, people would get a winnow, almost like a huge fork, and they would take up their wheat and the chaff together, go up to a high hill where it's where where it's most airy, most windy, and they would throw up the wheat right with a winnowing fork. They would throw up the wheat, and the wind would take away the chaff. You see, the wind would take away the chaff. This is how God, he winnows us. He sifts us like this. Uh, he, he, he separates everything. He scrutinizes. He's got his hands in everything, very finely, very skillfully. All the activities of my life down to the smallest detail. The good and the bad. And are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. God knows everything because he's omniscient. Proverbs 5.21 says, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. A.W. Tozer says this, God knows instantly and effortlessly all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, meaning uh, those puzzles, which to our minds, the most brilliant minds that we have on this earth cannot unlock. He knows every feeling, every desire, every uttered, every unuttered secret, because God knows all things perfectly. He knows no thing better than any other thing, but all things equally well. He never discovers anything. He is never surprised, never amazed, never wonders about anything, nor does he seek information or ask questions, except for when God is drawing men out of themselves for confession, for their own good. As we see God in the Adam asking where Adam is. That wasn't for God's purpose, but that was for Adam's sake. And so as we've already discussed, the God knows me so well is comforting. Um, but it's also convicting. And I'll, I'm going to wrap up here, right? But for you to know me, as well as God knows me, would not be comforting at all, <laughs> right? It wouldn't be comforting at all. It'd be extremely unsettling if you knew me the way God knows me. I don't know if you'd be here right now. <laughs> so in one sense, everyone has an inaccurate view of me, right? Uh, because they can only see half of the story. They can only see the external. Um, Charles Spurgeon, he put it like this, brother. Is that what you're thinking? Came to my mind. Brother, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him. For you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> right? You are worse. Way worse. And I'm certain that if God were to scrutinize my life and allow you to see what he sees, you would have a very different and more accurate understanding of who I am. Such is the case for every single one of us. Um, 
let me end here. Um, let me end. I don't want to end on that. I just, uh, let's go to, I still have some notes here, but we're running out of time. I'm going to read you something just by A.W. Pink. He, uh, he has a great point of application on the omniscience of God and the way it applies to our life and prayer. So inside of the omniscience of God, he gives us an incentive to pray. A.W. Pink said, There is no cause for fearing that the petitions of the righteous will not be heard. You don't have to fear that you won't be heard by God. Or that your sighs or that your tears shall escape the notice of God. Because he's everywhere. God sees your, your sighs. He sees your tears. Because he's omniscient, he knows your thoughts, and he knows the intentions of your heart. There is no danger of the individual saint of being overlooked amidst the multitude of supplicants. You don't have the issue. That, man, too many people are praying to God. I don't, he can't, how can he hear all of us at once? But God hears you as if you're the only one praying. His omniscience, it operates like that. Nothing escapes his notice. So, too, the lack of appropriate language, the inability to give, an ex, to give expression to the deepest longing of the soul, it will not jeopardize your prayers. Maybe you can't, you can't find the words for what you want to pray. It's bottled up. It, you, you're trying to find the words. But it will not jeopardize your prayer if you don't know exactly what to pray. And he quotes Isaiah sixty-five twenty-four. He says, It shall come to pass that before they call, before they pray, and while they, he says, before they call, I will answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. In the, the book of Matthew, it, it, it's, it says almost the same thing. And I'll just end with this. Where he says, in Matthew 6, As when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition. By the way, the chapter 6 in Matthew, it says that God sees in secret. Right? You're praying, you're fasting, your giving is not in vain because God sees, because he is omniscient, because he knows. But as he says, but when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition that Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. They believe it's by their words that God will hear them, that God will know what's in their hearts. But that is not the case. You don't have to speak anything for God to know what you're thinking. You don't have to say a word for God to know the intentions and the longings of your heart. It says, therefore, do not be like them, for your, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And that's incredible. Praise God. Let's go to worship.